It's November the 18th, 2022, and you're listening to episode 923 of Tips from the Top Floor. Tips from the top, from the top floor, tips from the top, all right, from the top floor. Whew, it's good to be back. Hey, how's everyone doing? I'm Chris, and this is Tips from the Top Floor, the longest-running photography podcast on the planet. Yeah, I wasn't here for, for a week. I wasn't here for a while. Um, because I had a health issue. I didn't like it. Did not like it at all. Two weeks ago, I I woke up in the morning with um, some of the lower frequencies on my right ear missing. Partial hearing loss. Like, everything under one kilohertz was virtually gone. It's like when you, when you uh, turn down the bass on your stereo all the way. And that was not nice. <laughs> I had I had an episode like this uh, before, um, and uh, it yeah. Luckily, it, it seems to be an episode. Um, well, interestingly enough, our brain is so quick to fill in areas that aren't used. There's seems to be a real competition in your, in our brain going on. So if you don't use something, something else will swoop in there. And that vacuum of like the ear not delivering those frequencies to the brain, that was quickly filled by a tinnitus, a low, low rumble, um, a sound, a permanent sound kind of thing. Um, I'm kind of lucky that most of that is on the way out. I'm on, right now I'm on cortisone and on earplugs and on a short, like was I was on a short vacation from headphones. I'm, I'm okay recording this right now. Uh, so yeah, I'm back. And most of the lost frequencies are back. The rumble is still there, but it's getting less. So, um, yeah. Thanks for the well wishes, everyone who who uh, who read <laughs> me talking about this online. So, yeah, I'm not going anywhere. All right, let's see. This okay. This th- I think this is an important episode today. Um, you'll have to wait to the end, but yes, it's important. So let's dive into a couple of news items first um affinity 2 is here that happened the they, they did a whole lot of big teasing and a whole lot of um yeah doing the one more thing and so on and uh, everyone well at least i was hoping that they would finally 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 release their lightroom killer i'm doing air quotes killer that did not happen. No damn, no digital asset manager. Um, but hey, they at least they released new versions of Affinity Photo, Affinity Designer, and Affinity Publisher. Version 2 of all of those. And all three products are available on all platforms, which in that case means Mac, Windows, and iPad. Uh, most of them had been on all these platforms. Publisher is new on iPad. So now it's it's complete suite. And no subscription! They are sticking to their guns in terms of no subscription. I think that's one of the biggest things that tells them apart from Adobe. And uh, they also introduced a new uh, universal license for all products on all platforms for $119. That's the early bird price. And uh, the full price will then later be $199. And I got I got the universal license right away. Um, yeah, uh, some of the new features are nice. I mean, the whole thing is quite slick, quite fast, quite good. Um, 
They have a new layer panel in all the apps, which is great, much more easy to use, more visual, more easy to navigate. Um, let me pick out a couple of features from the different products here. Designer, I use Designer quite a lot. Um, their Vector Warp tool, I love that. And the Shape Builder, oh man, that is so much fun. You can build shapes now. Boolean shapes, but in easy. <laughs> it used to be possible in the past, now the Shape Builder. You just make a few shapes, layer them on top of each other, press the S key. Like you select all of them, press the S key, and then you get to choose which parts are part of the shape and which are not. And it's, yeah, I love it. It's really good. Um, Affinity Photo 2, they finally introduce non-destructive raw development. As in, you can import a raw picture and then develop it with the raw tools and then later go back and change everything under a whole stack of layers and things and everything will update. That might honestly be a first step towards a Lightroom-like thing because non-destructive is important. And yeah, possibly... Possibly we're seeing an early glimpse. <laughs> One can dream, right? Um, they have live and compound masks. Really good. And a finally, finally a live mesh warp, which means you can bend and uh, squeeze things um, live. So like, like imagine you have a book, a photo of a book that you need to put pages on um, for an ad or something. And then you, now you can bend them to make that work. Um, publisher publisher 2 i didn't play with that yet but uh just a couple of the notable features are that it now lets you combine multiple docs into books so you have several documents of things might be chapters or something and then put them into books it supports footnotes and side notes and things that you need for making books and uh uh something that, like auto flow like auto layout kind of stuff that's that's cool i like what they did um, I, <laughs> I also hope they'll keep being great competition for Adobe because in a competitive landscape, we all win. So, Affinity 2, yeah, I I like. Um, another thing that's happening here, this is a bit of, a bit of housekeeping. Uh, another thing that's happening here is, um, I, I told you my, my old computer died, my iMac Pro died. Well, it didn't, it didn't really die, it still okay but the ssd in it is toast it's losing data and things which bit me uh quite a bit but <laughs> i recovered and um i'm now working under a new paradigm here which is i have switched from two to one so in the in the old world and yeah i'm over 50 i'm old <laughs> um i come from a time where the the the, the desktop was a thing nowadays yeah, not so much. But then, of course, the paradigm still held up for a long time. You have a powerful desktop system. That's the one where you connect all your discs and your microphone and your cameras and for production and video streaming. And you have the big screen and it's Ethernet connected and it's the workhorse kind of thing. And I remember I, I, I've gone through like many iterations of desktop systems. Mac, uh, Well, first of all, a big PC and then a Mac Pro and then... Uh, an iMac and then an iMac Pro and <clears throat> that paradigm worked for me and then in addition a second system then is the laptop and that's for travel for light media work limited remote work that kind of stuff but of course that adds complication 
in terms of you need to sync things. You bring a laptop home with your pictures from a, from a trip and you need to update the library and sync things over. And yes, you can automate some of that with Dropbox and with iCloud. But then with things like Lightroom and Lightroom Catalog, Lightroom is still necessary. Still no replacement for that for me. Um, it's a half manual process. You export the catalog and then you move it over and you import it. And then you need more maintenance because you back up two systems and you need to keep tabs on some things like what is where. It's, yeah, it, it, it's getting cumbersome. So the new paradigm now is that I replaced my iMac Pro with an, <laughs> with an Apple M2 MacBook Air. Yeah, the, the the small one. Well, the 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 small one, but but uh, with all features uh, included. So um, I have a laptop that is light that runs on battery for hours and hours and hours. I mean, with regular normal stuff, five, seven, eight hours, no problem. Um, it doesn't have a fan. It's more powerful than my old 8-core iMac Pro, which was a beast. It just eats it for breakfast. That's a lot. This is so wild. Um, and now the only synchronization that I need to... And, 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 it, and the laptop has not just enough power, it also has uh, 2 terabytes of SSD in it. Because that's how I expect it. And uh, now the only syncing that I need to do is... I, this is my main system now. This is the system. This is the workhorse. And I'm only syncing between laptops and devices now, as in the iCloud universe. So, yeah. For, for production stuff, I mean, <laughs> I'm standing in front of my desk right now, which is where the iMac Pro used to live. Um, I can run this in clamshell mode with an external screen, with an external keyboard. I have an external mouse. Um, you just drop in that laptop, hook, hook, it, hook it up with one USB-C plug to power and a little hub that has the disks and stuff and the microphone and everything connected. And uh, it works. So, yeah, giving up that two-system setup. Now, is it more complicated well in the beginning to get everything moved over and to set it up and to set up the backups and everything um yeah a little but the amount of flexibility and the and the amount of not needing to manage two systems anymore is a big win so yeah this tiny <laughs> this tiny machine outperforms my big desktop has more ssd does everything 100 silent that's pretty wild I think so. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> that's that's the infrastructure news. Uh, it wasn't cheap. I mean, I fully fully spec'd out here in Germany, including tax. It's like three thousand euros, but um, it's an it's an enabler. It feels like an enabler, and uh, yeah. So so let me let's look at the pros. Pros is no more juggling two systems. Fine. Pros is it's portable. It's my main system. It's always with me. Yes, I have a couple of things on external disks, like uh, my photo library, but I have uh, smart previews in Lightroom, so I can still work and export my photos on the road. And I can use it anywhere because it's 
it's battery powered and it's really good at that. Now the cons, of course, is it's a smaller screen. The the seventy the twenty seven inch five K panel is nice, but again, mitigation is get an external display. Um, I don't have one yet, still working on that, but. Uh, I still do have this plug it into the hub kind of location for like stationary stuff, production <clears throat> stuff, um, video streaming and so on, backing up microphone access and so on. So yeah, it, 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 it's, it's the best of all worlds. Now, of course, big risk is now system loss because this is our only system. This is my only system. And of course, there could be theft. There could be, I don't know, a be dropping it or spilling a cup of coffee into it um of course mitigation for that is backups 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 there's time machine there's a there's cloud backups i'm i'm backing up uh several terabytes to uh to the cloud and also and that's uh, also important frequently clone the main disk i'm using carbon copy cloner for that which means i have a bootable copy of the disk or of the ssd and if i need to i can hook that one up to a new system and that will uh work as this one and and of course in case of an emergency i've uh, checked around i can rent an equivalent system within two days so could be here the day after tomorrow and i'd be up to speed again quickly so that is for now is my easiest um, <clears throat> easiest um, or best way to to take care of the risks so yeah from two to one it's it's quite quite fundamental to be honest uh one more piece of news from the space community i have um just uh i've heard about a big a big digital camera usually we try to make cameras smaller and lighter and more portable well, scientists are now building the world's largest digital camera, and it's part of a project called the Legacy Survey of Space and Time, the LSST. And uh, it'll be, well, it's a telescope, but not in the usual sense. Um, so it's, it, it'll help astronomers study billions of galaxies over the next 10 years. That's the goal. It's a uh, it's one meter one point six five meters tall. It has one hundred eighty nine sensors. It has two three point two gigapixels in total, and its uh, largest lens has a diameter of one meters, up almost one point six meters. What I find interesting is that it's not a telescope in the usual sense. Normally, what you think of when you think telescope is a mirror construction, mirror lens construction folded uh, in itself. But this one is a digital camera with actual lenses and <laughs> a huge amount of sensors in there that are stitched together into one sensor. Uh, that thing is supposed to be finished at the end of 2024. So in two years. And it will then be transported to the Veracy Rubin obs Observatory in Chile uh, on, a, on a Boeing 747 and a train ride. And I can't wait to see some awesome pictures from it yeah space is awesome even if you're just looking at it from earth all right uh here's here's where i want to send you off to uh, a gallery of pictures i've been i've not been i've not been idling for the last weeks i've been spending time learning 
diving into things and one of the areas that I that I found fascinating, intriguing is the whole area and I've, I, I, I'll have to keep bringing it up here, AI generated imagery and uh, the link in the show notes is to a gallery of AI generated pictures of myself and all it took was to upload 30 selfies, simple selfies to a website and it was fairly easy because on your, at least on your iPhone in the photo library, you have a an album for your selfies, things that have been shot with your camera that points towards you. And then that's that was simple to pick like 30 of them and then go to a website, click a button to train a neural network on those pictures and then type in prompts to generate new imagery. Is that a game changer? Yeah. Think about it. Product photography, stock photography, portraiture. There, there's change ahead, which is why you'll want to listen to what's up next in this show, because that's the big one. Okay, this is important and urgent. Because if you are in the field of making art from of, of any kind, be it photography, be it graphic design, painting, digital art, doing making gaming assets, doing stock photography, doing product photography, you name it. If you're in any of these fields, then now is the time to at least get your feet wet and familiarize, familiarize yourself with the concepts and with the possibilities and with the limitations of this new world. I firmly believe everyone needs to get at least an idea of what's possible, how it works, and you need to start thinking of how this could influence your line of work, how this could be a threat or a tool for you, and how you might benefit from knowing a bit more about AI-generated art. The developments that this field is seeing right now are going really fast. So the time is now. Let me say that again. The time is now, not next year, not whenever. Now. And the, the, entry, the, bar the barriers to entry are not high. And I'm, I'm especially talking about one new development, and that is the ability to train your own network on pictures of your own person, of your own item, of your own thing. And then that neural network will be able to reproduce that person or that item or that thing in as many contexts and situations and light settings as you like. Go have another look at the gallery that I shared earlier. All of these pictures are based on training a network with 30 selfies of myself. The training was pretty much fully automated. It took 45 minutes in the cloud on some iron in some data center that you don't have to care about. It cost me 10 bucks. By the way, there are cheaper options. And uh, now, using that trained data set, generating a set of new selfies based on any text prompt describing what I want to generate takes a couple of minutes and costs me a couple of cents. 
Is it all perfect? No. Is it improving? Yes, and fast. The last 90 days of Stable Diffusion, that's how long it's been around in the open source. Uh, those last 90 days have been one of the biggest game changers and liberators of creativity that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I've seen many examples of uh, democratizing the arts. And I'm, <laughs> I'm really happy to say that I've been part of quite a few of these examples. Let me give you, let me give you a few of these examples. There used to be a time uh, when all music you heard on the radio was created in a professional studio. You needed specially treated rooms, you needed expensive microphones, you needed expensive effects gear and, and dynamic processors and, and a 24-track tape machine that no one could afford other than the big studios and synthesizers that were really expensive and so on and so on. And then the mid-90s came along and things turned digital and you could record those 24 tracks on a PC and you could run effects plugins that mimicked their expensive hardware brethren to a T. And many professional recording studios went under. I came from what back then was called the home recording scene. And uh, I ended up recording, mixing, mastering and producing music without owning an expensive studio. And that music that I produced was on par with many studio productions. And uh, the gatekeepers had to reorient. They had to learn and evolve or stay by the wayside. I was part of that wave and I embraced it. That was the mid-90s. Then the early 2000s came along and photography went digital. And again, the gatekeepers were those with the expensive photo studios and the, the expensive medium format cameras and the expensive lighting rigs. And uh, many of them looked down on the digital cameras back then and laughed at them. Because those cameras weren't up to par with their resolution and their color fidelity and so on. And then the DSLRs dropped in price and became better and the masses got access to new technology that was on par. And suddenly, the creativity was the limit. Not access to expensive technology. And the darkroom went digital. It was replaced by Photoshop and by Lightroom. And the analog workflow became digital. And I was part of that wave and I embraced it. Okay, five years ahead. Uh, the, the 2005 area. That's when radio went digital. And it turned into the podcast. And that time, the gatekeepers were the radio stations with their expensive studios and their big AM and FM transmitters and their radio licenses. And all of a sudden, there were... Thousands and thousands and thousands of people like me who had something to, to say, something to tell the world. And we had the internet to distribute um, the things we talked about. And we found audiences. I found you or you found me. You're listening to it right now. And all of a sudden, every niche topic could find an audience and... I was part of that wave and I embraced it. And yes, right now, we're looking at the next big wave and it's called AI-generated art and AI-generated writing and AI-generated 
music. Will it replace us? No. No, it won't. Some of us for sure. But turns out it works best when working hand in hand with people like you and me. People who learn how to guide it, how to use it as a tool to supercharge their productivity. And that's why I suggest you give it a go. Get your feet wet. See what it's about. Learn the new tools. Play, explore, see what's possible, see where the limitations are. Be informed and stay on top of the developments. And by the way, I, I would love to be your guide on this journey. Let's learn together. Let's explore this together. And as a, as a first simple step, um, there are two resources I want to point you towards. Go check out, they both linked in the show notes, go check out one of um, the many places where you can train your own model. It's online. It costs a few bucks. Not affiliated with any of these, but um, I suggest Astria AI. Astria AI, I think you pay 10 bucks for training and then almost as many pictures as you like. Um, or AIPainter.com. Um, also linked in the show notes. That one starts at like two bucks for a training round. And uh, you can train your own model and generate your own pictures just to get your feet wet, just to test the water. And bo both sites are really easy to use. There's, there's, yeah, there's not too much to it from a from a user, use, using using it point of view. You won't need to be a coder or have any special skills. So simple enough, a simple enough testing ground. Uh, Astri.ai, the bit more expensive, but it's also the easier one of the two. Uh, AI Painter is a bit more involved, but um, both work really well. Let's explore this together. Let's go down that path together. You'll thank me later. Oh, and by the way, here's a little plug. Uh, if you want personal hand-holding, I'm for hire. You can always book me over on sensei.photo for a, for a private lesson to help you get up to speed. Sensei.photo, S-E-N-S-E-I dot P-H-O-T-O. -O. Uh, just hit me up. All right, that was it for this episode of Tips from the Top Floor. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being subscribed. Follow Tips from the Top Floor on the Twitters at TFTTFphoto. Yes, I'm still there. I'm also on Mastodon. Chris Marquardt at chaos.social, just in case. I'd love to get feedback from you. You can do that at tfttf.com slash hi. That's tfttf.com slash hi. You can write or record a voicemail. And uh, the following listener has done exactly that. Let me read that to you. Eran Pinasov writes, um, Hi, Chris. It's Eran, note listener of the TFTTF podcast. And I'm adding he's been on one of my workshops. It's great uh, that you're back on track and you are bringing very interesting and sometimes unique content and observations. So keep it on. Hope that you recover soon from the sudden ear loss. I actually had the same partial on my right ear. Fortunately, it went away after a few days. Yes, recovering. Thanks for the, thanks for the well wishes. In the last episode, you mentioned that the new method to launch any camera app from the iPhone lock screen. And I agree that this can be a game changer for so many cases. Fortunately, there are even faster and better ways to do that. And I wonder... 
if this could also happen on iOS devices, for example, on my Samsung phone, for all, or all of the mid to premium Samsung devices, when you double press the power button, it instantly gets into the camera app. You actually do the double press while you raise the device to the capture position and it's already ready to shoot. Bottom line, it takes about two to three seconds to take a picture from the moment you think about doing that. I find this extremely useful and I use it very often. Sometimes people don't see that I actually captured a shot as it is so fast. It is very useful with kids or animals. The fact that uh, this is a physical button makes it even more convenient and I can use it without even looking at the device or screen. It's also possible to assign power double press to run any application, so I guess it's also possible to use other camera apps. Hope this will also find its way to the iOS or help listeners with Samsung devices which didn't know about these functions. Thanks again and take care. Well, th great to hear from you. Thanks for writing in. Um, on iPhones, the double press on the on the power button is <laughs> opens Apple Pay, so that is already taken by something else. Um, there's one other method that I used for a while in the past, and that is you have accessibility settings where you can uh, start an app by double tapping on the back of the phone, so you knock on the phone and it starts an app. But if, for me personally, it had too many false positives, so I. <laughs> constantly opened an app that I didn't want to so I'm not using that anymore um, the home screen thing using that as a launcher is but the big advantage here is that you can have direct access to multiple different cameras from there so that's why I find it so intriguing anyway um, your method on a Samsung Android phone sounds like fun so thank you for sharing that if you want to leave feedback for the show, go to tfttf.com slash hi, tfttf.com slash hi, and uh, let me know what you think. If you can, I really appreciate your support at Patreon, tfttf.com slash Patreon. It starts at $1 per episode. It's voluntary, and uh, it really helps. really helps keep the lights on. Um, your support makes a difference now more than ever. Thank you so much. And now go out and take amazing photos, be extra nice to each other, and of course, happy shooting. Beatles.